Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking and Entering, the podcast that highlights intriguing career paths and that showcases that difference adds value. My name is Victoire Barbin Perron. I'm a reporter for Citywide Selector and the host of Breaking and Entering. Today, I am joined by Jeff Mueller, who serves as a portfolio manager at investment firm Pollen Capital, which is headquartered in Florida. Jeff has not spent all of his career in asset management. He started off as a sports aficionado, then joined the military, became a Top Gun instructor, and is now running investment strategies. Jeff, thank you so much for joining. Victoire, it's uh, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you're known in the industry as a co-manager of Poland's Global Growth Fund, which you run, which you run with Damon Ficklin, the co-head of your team. That's correct. But yeah. But you're also maybe lesser known as a former U.S. Marine Corps. You served in Iraq and you overall dedicated a decade of your life to protect your nation. Could you explain what drove you to uh, join the military in the first instance? Sure. So uh, it's, it's certainly been a circuitous path uh, to where I am now. Um, I guess to go all the way back to the beginning, I grew up in Texas and then played tennis in my uh, undergrad uh, in Texas. Uh, after I graduated, my ambition was to play some professional tennis tournaments and basically see how far I could take that. Um, mm -hmm. Everything changed on the morning of September 11th, 2001. Uh, the attacks uh, really impacted me significantly like they did not only just many Americans, but many people around the world. So as the uh, second plane struck uh, the second tower, um, I decided at that moment to join the US Marine Corps. And um, I walked outside after watching this. I called my mom. I told her I was going to join the Marines. She cried, uh, but uh, you know, certainly supported the decision. I joined immediately after the attacks and ended up testing into flight school, which was not the original plan, uh, mm -hmm. and that earned me a flight contract within the U.S. Marine Corps. And from there, I was on active duty for almost 10 years where I flew in F-18 Hornets. Um, and this took me all over the world. I was primarily um, stationed in San Diego, but I served in Iraq in 2006 and served in Japan for a year in 2009. And then, as you said, I, uh, I ended my career as an instructor. Hmm. And so those F-18 um, Hornets, are those supersonic, very impressive planes right i find them really impressive from my they, standpoint they, uh, <laughs> um, they are supersonic uh the uh swiss air force flies them and the blue angels which are the u.s navy's demonstration team that flies yes. the air shows those are f-18s right just like the patrouille um patrouille française which in france are the one doing the demonstrations um, that's right yeah um and so there's quite a gap between flying those impressive engines um, and handling portfolios. 
and you must be asked these questions uh, often when people find out about your career and your past. But so what type of epiphany or event made you switch from, made you switch professions and turn to investments? Sure. So, you know, on the day of September 11th, making this decision, I didn't want to make a career out of it. Had you met me on September 9th, or yeah. September 10th, 2001, you would have thought this is the last guy in the world to join the military, right? Uh, so I just wanted to serve and do my part and then uh, move on with the next chapter in my life. In 2006, when I was in Iraq, uh, I was on a flying out of a base called Al-Assad in the middle of the desert, uh, west of the Euphrates River. Someone sent my tent mate uh, a book on investing. Uh, and it introduced me to Ben Graham, uh, the father of value investing and obviously Warren Buffett's professor and mentor uh, at Columbia Business School. This book, it, it, was, it was a real inflection moment in my life. Uh, it made me realize that, in my opinion, investing is one of the last renaissance occupations there is. Uh, I've always been a a lover of learning. I've always been a very voracious reader. I've always had a very curious mind. And it struck me as just such a fantastic profession to try to get into where you're, you're paid to learn uh, about all kinds of things in the world. And I also think it's a very noble profession. I mean, if done right, you're compounding capital for clients that you know, the results, again, if done right, are going to really change people's lives. Mm. Um, so it was after reading this book, I set the very ambitious goal to try to get to Columbia Business School after my contract was up. Uh, I say ambitious because, uh, you know, I grew up very middle class, if not, you know, at, at times with a single mom, uh, lower than middle class. I didn't even know Columbia existed when I was in high school. Mm. Um, Fortunately, it turns out, I think they, they really have an appreciation and love U.S. Marines. So that worked out in my favor. Either that or they made some sort of clerical error, but uh, <laughs> they let me in. Uh, so I went to Columbia in 2011. I really entered Columbia uh, pretty obsessed with Ben Graham and deep value investing and, you know, analyzing businesses based off their asset value and doing liquidation valuations and then it was at Columbia, I was um, picked for the seven person class where all we did was reverse engineer some of the greatest compounders of our generation. So we would spend what, an entire semester. Yeah. What's a seven person, what, sorry, what's a seven person class? Uh, seven people, sorry. There were only seven people uh, okay, okay. selected for this class. Cool, thank uh, you. <laughs> that's my fault on the uh, American accent. Um, <laughs> So there are just seven of us uh, and we each were assigned a business yeah. and we spent the entire semester reverse engineering how this business was such a wonderful compounder. Uh, so, you know, think of businesses like Google, Fastenal in the 90s, uh, Visa, MasterCard, um, Faxet, just a number of these really wonderful businesses that outperform. And that struck me as in my opinion, the very best way to generate wealth over time while taking the least amount of risk. And I was looking for a place after school 
that invested only in very high quality businesses, did so in a concentrated manner with a very long-term holding period, you know, a real business owner's mindset as opposed to uh, just focusing on the stock. Yeah. Uh, and then a great culture. I mean, coming from such a culture of service, living in a fighter squadron for a decade, it was important to me to go work for a firm where I felt like I was adding value to the world. I found all of that in Poland Capital in 2013, uh, and it's been a great ride uh, since I joined. Okay, so you joined in 2013. It's been seven years now. Um, so with this hindsight, can you say that you've um, leveraged the skills that you had honed as a as a flyer of FA agents? <laughs> That's probably not how you say it, but or as a uh, you know, just serving for a decade, protecting your country. Uh, yeah, I, I think there are some transferable skills. Uh, if you don't mind, before I touch on those, though, when I joined Poland, Poland has a great culture. It's very team oriented. It's a very collaborative research process. And uh, Dan Davidowitz and Damon Ficklin, who uh, co-head our team right now, yeah. very much believe in mentorship. Uh, and Damon Ficklin in particular, who's my partner on global growth, uh, it's been just terrific to go from this mentor-mentee relationship with Damon to this partnership on global growth. And he's been at the firm for 17 years, uh, and we're able to take a over three-decade track record on our U.S.-only strategy which is compounded client returns in excess of 15% annualized for 31 years and execute it on the global stage through the Poland global growth strategy. Uh, I don't like to speak for other people. I can speak for Damon in this uh, instance right here, but uh, it's a pretty thrilling position to be in to take this proven philosophy and process uh, work closely with this great team surrounding us and um, and be able to execute this on the global stage. Mm -hmm. Now to get to you know the heart of your question on transferable skills, I've put a lot of thought into this because uh, you know the, the name of your podcast is so spot on. Uh, breaking and entering into this industry, which is not easy to get into under any circumstances, yeah. uh, it's pretty intimidating. And also you think you have transferable skills, but you don't know for sure until you put them to action. So I guess I'd break this into three. First, my primary mission set in Iraq was flying close air support missions. What that basically means is playing this guardian angel type role for the men and women on the ground. I mean, these are some of the bravest people of our generation. They're in combat, on the ground engaging in firefights. Our job was to orbit, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20,000 feet above them and mm -hmm. basically provide this guardian angel role. I would say this resulted in some of the most chaotic scenarios imaginable that I experienced in Iraq. Uh, troops on the ground in firefights, yelling into the radio for support. And we were trained to know that it was our job at that moment to be the most objective and act with the greatest clarity of thought possible. 
that approach, I think, is transferable to uh, investing in public equities within public markets. Secondly, uh, fighter squadrons, there's really no such thing as the star or, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot different than what you see in Hollywood. It's extremely team oriented and very collaborative. And that is extremely transferable to working at Poland. Uh, again, I have a phenomenal partner and a phenomenal team surrounding us in the research project, uh, process. And then lastly, I'd say humility. And this is probably the one that really diverges from what you see in Hollywood movies like Top Gun and Top Gun 2, which, uh, you know, Tom Cruise, he never really fails to deliver a great movie. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but so, yeah, but you see, see on Top Gun, maybe, maybe the humility is not there. I don't know what you're about to say, but in Top Gun, Maverick does realizes that teamwork um, makes the dream, dream work throughout the movie, right? So there is, there is a... That's like a, a fair point. Yeah. That's a fair point. You're right. The story arc is Maverick yes. uh, <laughs> learning the importance of teamwork. Uh, I would say in reality, that importance is already set in place and, uh, and people understand it. I would point to humility being absolutely a transferable skill from being in a fighter squadron to managing money within public markets. And again, humility you're not going to find in a movie about a fighter squadron or fighter pilots, yeah. but, but it's very real. And in fact, my last few years when I was an instructor, I would always identify one trait within people and then use it to basically remove them uh, from squadrons if, if needed. And I called it, I got it syndrome. And you know, you know the types, they make a mistake, they cover it up, they, you teach them something, they already knew it. I feel like there's, I got it syndrome is basically kind of a, uh, just a phrase that really translates to someone being a know-it-all. And I would mm. say the best antidote for being a know-it-all is humility. And this is extremely, this is as important when managing a portfolio in public markets as it is employing fighter aircraft in combat. So, so yeah, those would be the three transferable skills. I know I only have seven years under my belt, but I've seen all three uh, help me at different times and instances throughout my career so far. And how so? How does it work? How how does this actually play humility in portfolio management? Oh, I I mean the the ability to receive new information and change your mind based off that information without falling prey to sunk cost and all of the biases that are so carefully studied today, I think is, is critical because, you know, we're dealing in reality with a very complex world with a lot of unknowns and mm -hmm. the ability to have a flexible mind, flexible thinking to seek out disconfirming evidence, um, I think is extremely important, uh, in life in having good judgment. And certainly that translates into making investment decisions on behalf of clients. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Speaking of um, loads of unknown, how, how have you been capitalizing with your team on the pandemic and the trends that um, 
rose from this pandemic? So, you know, global growth and, you know, if I may, I, I didn't get this out in the very beginning, but I think it's important for people to get a better sense of what it is we're actually aiming to do. And yeah. I would, I would basically point to a, what I would call our goal or our aim every day. And our overarching goal within the Poland Global Growth Fund is to construct a portfolio of roughly 25 of the best, most competitively advantaged businesses in the world that in aggregate can compound earnings per share at about a mid-teens rate over time. So call it roughly 15%. Hmm. We believe that as long as we buy these businesses for fair prices and hold them for long periods of time, the stock price appreciation will mirror the earnings growth over time. And thus the returns for our clients should mirror the earnings growth of the portfolio as a whole. That's exactly what's been in place with our US only strategy for over 30 years now. It's grown earnings at roughly 15% and it's compounded client returns at roughly 15%. And it's actually exactly what's been in place since the inception for global growth, where our earnings have actually compounded a little faster than 15%. And mm -hmm. our client returns have mirrored those, that earnings growth of uh, a little bit in excess of 15%. Now, when I say high quality, we do deep dive again, very collaborative, but fundamental research to find what we believe are the best businesses in the world. And we don't start from macro themes or do thematic, but we, we purely start within our process from a fundamental approach. Right. But more often than not, once we get to the end of our process, there is a secular shift occurring within the world that is boosting or amplifying the earnings growth of these businesses that are so wonderfully competitively advantaged. This is a very long path to get to your final question, which is the secular trends that our businesses have been benefiting from for the last few years have really accelerated uh, because of COVID-19. Uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said in the first quarter of this year, we just saw two years worth of digital transformation occur within two months. So just to walk through a couple of examples to, to answer your question specifically, we're seeing businesses the world over transition from on-premise to cloud. And yeah. our companies like Microsoft, Alphabet with Google Cloud Platform, SAP, Alibaba, direct beneficiaries of this shift. E-commerce, Alibaba is a direct beneficiary. Digital payments, we have mm -hmm. big positions in PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, and we have for many years. Software solutions in general, we own a wonderful business whose in market is the construction and manufacturing industries, and uh, it's called Autodesk, um, also a direct beneficiary. The shift from traditional to digital marketing, we've owned Adobe for many years, uh, Facebook's another beneficiary of that, even digital teeth correction. Uh, we own a wonderful company called Align Technology, which makes clear aligners. Dentists and orthodontists are able to advance people in their treatment with those, even when their offices are closed. You mm. can't do that with traditional wires and brackets or braces. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the trends that were already 
blowing at the backs of our businesses have really accelerated. And we feel like the portfolio is extremely well positioned, not only for today, but where the world is going. Mm-hmm. Didn't you also add in um, LVMH recently? We did, yes. Right. Because? We've got a long history of understanding the power of globally scaled brands that mm. can embrace this very difficult virtuous cycle whereby they take a significant amount of their sales and reinvest it into marketing and advertising. And they end up spending billions of dollars on marketing and advertising, strengthening their brands over time. We've owned Nike for many, many years, Adidas, LVMH follows the exact same playbook. Uh, Estee Lauder follows the exact same playbook. It's very difficult to reach the level of scale to compete with these uh, dollars and euros that are being spent on marketing. Mm. And then the second component, which is connected to your previous question, is omni-channel capabilities. These companies that have invested well ahead of the global pandemic in ensuring that uh, they can meet the customer anywhere the customer wants to be met, whether it's on an e-commerce platform, whether it's on their own brand.com websites, whether it's order online, pick up and store. Uh, again, LVMH, Estee Lauder, Adidas, Nike are excelling in this area, which is only further separating them from competitors and uh, what I would call also rands. Mm, okay, thank you, makes sense. Now we're recording this episode on the 3rd of November on the cusp of the US elections. How do you and your team feel as gross investors about the elections? So we, it's a, it's a good question. It's obviously couldn't be more topical than uh, it is today. Um, we're very long-term. When I say long-term, you know, we're always looking at least five years out. I'm not sure yeah. if I mentioned this, but our average holding period is uh, roughly five years. And we're looking to invest in, again, the strongest businesses in the world that can compound their earnings through cycle with very high returns on capital, very strong balance sheets. Most of our businesses are in net cash positions. And these traits that we look for that we call guardrails Mm. are really a manifestation of sustainable competitive advantages over time that allow them to compound through cycle. Now, that's important because we're not tactical. We don't make macroeconomic calls and we're fully invested at all times. Focus growth, our US only strategy, which I pointed to uh, the track record in 31 years has generated this track record through, I believe five presidents in the US, multiple leadership changes around the world, a couple in hindsight, really big bubbles like the tech bubble, uh, multiple wars, and some really nasty depress, excuse me, recessions, uh, like what we experienced this year uh, and also during the global financial crisis. Uh, and we think it all comes back to staying disciplined to our philosophy and process. That's another very long-winded way of answering a question, uh, but either way the election goes, uh, we're very comfortable with the position uh, of our portfolio. So you wouldn't, 
as long-term investors, as you mentioned, you wouldn't like react or adjust uh, depending on, on the outcomes? I mean, if the outcome resulted in a deterioration of the competitive advantages of one of our businesses and change the investment case, that yeah. would certainly be a consideration and we would act on that. Uh, but we do not pivot the portfolio or make tactical moves uh, as we try to predict what mm. is going to happen in the future. We don't believe in macroeconomic uh, speculations. We believe that humans have demonstrated throughout history that it is, uh, it is too difficult. And this goes back to humility. It's a lot easier to make an assessment over a business's competitive advantages. Mm. And that business's ability to continue to compound earnings over the next five to 10 years than it is to make a macroeconomic speculation and be right on it. Okay. So no, there's no draft about a plan, plan A, plan B, depending on, um, on, 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 on whether it, uh, Trump or Biden gets elected. No, I mean, one thing that's topical right now is uh, tech regulation. We're discussing it heavily and these businesses are just so dominant that governments are starting to step in. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they did so in such a way that it changed the investment case or we felt that it impaired the ability to grow or these businesses competitive advantages, uh, then we would take that under consideration. Okay, great. Thank you. I know it's a frustrating answer, but uh, it, it's it's the way we've been managing uh, these portfolios for over three decades now. Yeah, and it but it ties back to humility, probably in a way. So, won't be blaming you. <laughs> thank you, it. thank you so much for joining Jeff and for sharing your inspiring insights. It was really nice to chat. It was my pleasure, Victoire. Thank you. Dear listeners, if you would like to find out more episodes of Breaking and Entering, you can go and check out the rest of the series that is available on Spotify. Bye for now.